Welcome to the teaching podcast for Eubank Baptist Church. We are all about knowing more about Jesus and inviting others to do the same. We would love for you to join us on our campus on Sunday mornings at 8.30 or 10.45 and Wednesday nights at 6 p.m. This podcast is a place that you can listen to any teachings that you might have missed from our Sunday morning worship experiences. To stay connected, you can check out our website at www.eubankbaptist.com. You can also follow us on Facebook at Eubank Baptist Church and Instagram at Eubank underscore BC. Thank you for being a part of the conversation and let's keep pursuing Jesus together. Between the the worship and the baptism, I don't know what what, what my part is this morning. But uh, I say that in in, in the best way possible because there's no better way, I think, to, to celebrate what God can do through baptism and through a church just hopefully worshiping their Savior. Um, before I go any further, let me just say two things that I forgot to mention in the beginning. One, if you're a guest with us, if you are a first-time guest, whether it be uh, you're, here to, uh, you're here to watch the baptism or you're checking us out, uh, in the bulletin there is a Connect card. And we would love to have you fill that out and drop it in the black box on your way out. And the purpose for that is for us to know that you were here and maybe even sell, and maybe even start a conversation with you about your time here um, at EBC. And the second thing is this: uh, tonight, I'm sure if you if you've been on, if you've been on social media, you know this, but tonight we're having a worship night downstairs, um, and and our students are hosting it. And I can't encur- encourage you enough to be here for that. Uh, you are invited as a church, and uh, we are expecting God to really show up tonight. Um, I know that our students are excited. Um, I'm excited. We've been praying about this for a couple months, and so we are excited, and we're expecting God um, to show up. So we want to invite you to, to do the same thing, to be a part of that. Um, so be here tonight at 6 o'clock for that in, in, in the student space. Um, so as I've said, uh, just almost every Sunday um, in, in approaching this, this platform, this stage, um, is that you know, I've, I have welcomed you, and I really hope that you know how grateful we are that you are here this morning. I hope you know how honored we are that you are here giving us some of your time. Because I know that being a father of a almost two-year-old, which is ugh, scary to think. Ooh, two years old. Terrible twos. Here we come. Um, but as a father of a two-year-old, I, I understand how time is and how valuable time is. So the fact that you're here giving us that, we are honored by that. And in case you are a first-time visitor or, again, you're checking us out, um, can I just be upfront and honest about our purpose as a church and the heart behind everything that we do, uh, every event that we do? And, and our purpose is this. Our purpose is to discover who God is through a relationship with Jesus and invite others to do the same. That when you come onto our campus, we don't want you to be enamored or fall in love with us as a church. We want you to be enamored and fall in love with Jesus. And that is it. That, that every single person here, we are, we, are, we are simply here to pass others on to Jesus. That's why we're here. We're not here to build a name for ourselves or, or to, to make a, a name for ourselves. We are here to build and, and to declare the name of Jesus. This is why we have environments and events, not just for adults, but for children and students as well. That's why we are so intentional with all of our environments, not just for you all, but for our kids too. Because we believe that God can even speak to children. I mean, we, we saw it this morning that God can even speak to the relevance and the need of a Savior to a child just as much as an adult. So we are intentional about our environments and giving God the space to do just that. And we want to help anyone and everyone who comes to Eubank Baptist Church or an event that we're affiliated to, to experience and discover who God is. That, that's why we're here. And if you were here with us last week uh, or you listened to the conversation later on uh, in the week, you know that we started a, a very brief two-week series um, that, I, that I have called Closing Remarks. And and the reason that I have gone with this title um, is because uh, in May we're going to welcome our new head pastor, our new senior pastor. And at that point, I will uh, stop speaking weekly on Sunday mornings. And so um, as I think about uh, the time that I've been honored to have, and, and again, I just want to thank our deacons and leadership for trusting me. Because in case you didn't know, I'm, I'm, I am the youth pastor. I'm not just a youth pastor, but 
at the youth pastor. Um, so uh, so I, 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 I've been trusted to, to speak and lead, and hopefully I've done that well. Uh, but in May, we will welcome our new uh, senior pastor. And as I thought about kind of what I wanted to speak on, my closing remarks, if you will, in this time, my heart was and is to share just some final encouragement to you all. Um, to speak encouragement to those that, that are uh, consistently part of our culture and environment here. Uh, to speak encouragement to those uh, that are interested in, in, in being a part. But even more, uh, just speak encouragement to those, to anyone that is considering choosing Jesus. That's been my heart in this and last week in, in, in our conversation, we spent, on, we, we spent time unpacking this idea that consistency is essential. That whether you look at it from a spiritual perspective or an athletic perspective or an academic perspective, that no matter how you look at it, consistency is essential. And whether we look at this as people involved with Eubank Baptist Church or people involved with Jesus, it is the same thing. It doesn't change. You know, one thing that we said uh, was that consistency is movement, that as long as you're consistent, as long as you're moving, that is the goal. You see, Jesus doesn't expect you to be perfect. However, he does expect you to keep moving towards him. So he's not expecting you to be perfect because you can't be perfect. No matter how hard you try, you will not do it. So he knows that. In fact, he never calls a perfect disciple. He actually calls imperfect disciples, people that have things to figure out and work out. He calls them. So he doesn't expect us to be perfect. He expects us to keep moving towards him. And if you're considering being a part of our community and culture here at EBC, our prayer is the same thing. Our expectation is saying that we don't, we don't expect you to be a perfect member of Eubank Baptist Church. It's not possible. The only way to have a perfect member of any church is, is, it would be if Jesus walked into the room. So every church is full of imperfect people. So we're not expecting you to be, we, we, we just want you to move, keep moving towards Jesus. And this morning in our conversation, we're going to continue this. And I'm going to offer the second part of my closing remarks, the second part of my encouragement in our time together this morning, we're going to be centered on this idea of trust. That last week we talked about consistency, and this week the idea is trust. As I was just praying through this and working through this this week, I realized, and I'll just use my own, uh, my, my own life as an example, there's a lot of times that I undervalue or misunderstand the full importance of what trust is. And what I mean by this is that the experience of trust is not only essential for the justification of a Christian, but it's also essential for their sanctification. That trust is not only, trust is not only important in the beginning when someone chooses Jesus, when they choose to give him all their trust and faith, but it's also important as they continue in their Christian walk. Cecilia, if you're listening, I just want to tell you, girl, you have a lot of opportunities to trust Jesus in your life. There's going to be moments where you have the opportunity, where you have the choice. Am I going to trust in who God is? And am I going to trust in what he's called me to do? Or will I trust in myself or somebody else or something else? So often we put a lot of weight on trust in the beginning, right? We talk about trusting Jesus at first, right? Giving him your life. But what I've noticed is that that conversation of trust becomes less and less a part of the conversation as time goes on. Because there's almost this, this, this expectation like you're, you've been a Christian for 10 plus years, so you should know what it's like to trust. You should know that a Christian trusts. But let's be honest, sometimes the most, sometimes the most difficult thing to do in this life is to trust, Sometimes the most difficult thing to do is to trust that God is doing something in this mess. Right? Like we all have a mess. You're, you're a mess. I'm a mess. Welcome to church. And sometimes it's hard, to, it's, 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 it's hard to believe. Don't laugh at that. It's true. We're all a mess. Okay? Like it's, it's, it's true. And, and, and sometimes we, we can be so overwhelmed with the mess that we start to doubt the reality of who God is. We start to, start to doubt the reality, the power of who Jesus is. So sometimes trust becomes really, really far away from the conversation. And what I hope to accomplish this morning is for us to see and to gain a fuller understanding of trust 
through a very familiar moment in Scripture. You have probably heard of, whether you've been in church for five minutes or, or, or five years or 50 years, you have heard of the story of Abraham and Isaac. You've heard of that moment. And this morning, I want to go there. I want to spend time there. And what I hope to do is for us to see what, what's involved with this experience of trust. That if we're going to trust who God is, trust who Jesus is, trust in his presence and his power and his authority, how, what does that look like for us? So we're going to see three things this morning. And to begin our, our time of directly interacting with the living word of God, I would like to just read through that moment, read through that story, if you will, together. I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to read through verses 1 through 13 as we close out, as we conclude this series in Genesis, as, we, as I conclude by giving my final encouragement, my closing remarks. But if you're able to this morning, I want to invite you to stand with me as we read through this. And if you're a guest, the reason we stand as we read uh, at first is because we want to give God all the honor and the glory his word deserves. Because his word is truth and authority, and we're going to give all the honor to that as we possibly can. So look with me at Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 13 this morning. It says this, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they had reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar therein, arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. We pray for me, Father, right now I just ask that, that your spirit continue to move in this place. I, I, I believe we have seen that this morning through our worship we have seen that through the baptism of Cecilia, God. And I just pray that your spirit continues to move, God. I pray that you give me the ability to speak clearly and effectively as I communicate the greatest message, the greatest word ever said in all time. Father, I pray that as we spend time with this very familiar verse to so many, God, this moment that is so familiar to many, that, God, you would give us a fresh perspective Give us a fresh mindset of what you want to communicate to us in this moment. Father, I pray that you would open up our ears and our minds and our hearts to you, God. Father, you have permission to do and to say and to lead in whatever way you want to this morning, God. We love you. We thank you. And it is in your most awesome, powerful name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated this morning. You know, one thing that, that really stands out to me about the life of Abraham is that he had a lot of opportunities to experience and demonstrate a sense of trust in who God was and what he was doing. In fact, this was not the first time that Abraham was asked to let go of something. 
In the beginning of Abraham's story, when he was still known as Abram, he was asked by God to leave his home and not just leave for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. He was asked to leave his home indefinitely, leave everything he knew, leave everything that he was familiar with and to leave it for a land that he would soon find out about. It'd be like someone coming to you saying, do you want to go on vacation? You have to leave right now, but you want to go on vacation? You'd be like, yes, I do. And then they were like, all right, start driving. We'll tell you where to go. Odds are most of us will have a little questions there, right? Like, am I driving to my death? Will I be kidnapped? Are you an axe murderer? I don't know. And so Abraham, this is not his first time he's been asked to let go of something, to leave something. And as we, as, as we unpack the takeaways for this morning's conversation, I would encourage all of us to keep this idea in mind. And the idea is this, is that trust is not a one-day experience, but an everyday experience. That trust is not just in that one moment that you choose Jesus. Trust is in every moment that you choose Jesus, because it's not just about choosing Jesus at first. That's important. But as, as, as life goes on, as many of our adults know, you have to constantly, constantly trained to choose Jesus. That even after you've given your life to him, there's going to be moments where your mind, where your uh, maybe family, where your friends, where your inner self says, you know what, it's not about what Jesus wants. It's about what you want. It's about what you want to get. It's about what you want to feel. So worry about that and not about Jesus. And the reality is that we have to constantly tell ourselves that it's not about us. It's not about us, but it's all about Jesus. And what I would argue this morning is that for us to truly experience trust, three things have to happen. So with that being said, I want to encourage you to follow along in the note sheets and the bulletin. But number one is just the first thing that for us to consider is this, that trust involves no hesitation. Trust involves no hesitation. For a moment, go back with me to verses 1 through 3 in Genesis chapter 22 this morning. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. So in, in, in order to fully understand, I think, the significance of this moment in our scriptures, we have to understand the timeline here. Because in case you didn't know, our timeline does not always match God's timeline. That the way God does things doesn't always match how we would like things to happen. So just let me explain and just, and, just, and just share the timeline of this for Abraham. You see, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham is promised to be made into a great nation. In Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is promised a son. In, in Genesis chapter 18, Abraham is promised a timeline for his son as he's told that it will happen in a year. And in Genesis chapter 21, the promised son is born. So if we look at the time between Genesis 12 and Genesis chapter 21, where Isaac is born, Abraham experienced 25 years between the declaration of the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. That he spent 25 years waking up every day, this will be the day. This will be the day. He woke up 25 years wishing that today would be the day that he heard his new baby's cry. So for 25 years, he waited to experience the fulfillment of the promise. And even though it had to be tough waiting for 25 years, I can't imagine that. And the, the, the sad reality is that there are people today who know what this is like to wait and to wait and to wait and to get more and more bad news and just waiting and waiting and waiting. But Abraham, he kept moving forward because of the trust he had in who God was. I think sometimes... We can focus more on the promise itself than the person of who Jesus is. And it could have been easy for Abraham to do this, to, to focus solely on the promise that he would get one day 
and lose sight of, of who God was. You see, in, in, in chapter 22, we see that God tells Abraham to take the son he waited 25 years for and sacrifice him at a, at a specific place. Often, uh, when this series of verses is preached on or it's studied or it's talked about, often the experience of faith is tied to it. But what I believe is that faith and trust actually go hand in hand. You see, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So when I think about all the times I don't see or know what God is doing, it's like something like, at times I feel like I just want to have a phone call with God and say, what are you doing, <laughs> right? Have, 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 have you been there with me? Like you're like, God, what in the world are you doing with this? What are you trying to teach me? Just like put it in the sky for me, right? Make, like take the clouds, make a sign, sign it by your name, we'll be good to go, right? So even when the times that I don't know or see what God is doing, I have to remind myself, of what Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says. And it says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. So what that means is that when you look at the totality of your life, not just the individual parts, but the totality of your life, and you boil that down, there is evidence of God moving. There is evidence of God working. And we can get, we, we, we can get lost and the idea that, that the movement of God only equals good things in the moment. Sometimes God's movement happens after some pain. Sometimes God's movement happens after we have to learn something along the way. So here's the connection that I see. When we demonstrate faith, we are demonstrating a trust that God is doing something. Listen, I can't tell you all the time what God's doing in my life. I can't tell you what God's doing in your life, but I can tell you that God is doing something. We may not understand it. We may not believe it, but let me tell you that our God that we serve, that we put all our trust in, he he is a God who does things and says things on purpose, okay? There is no such thing as accidents with God. There's no such thing as happenstance with God. There's no such thing as coincidences with God. Everything God does is for a purpose. So every breath that you've been given, every moment that you experience, it comes with God doing something through it. So when we demonstrate faith, we demonstrate this trust that God's doing something. And I love how one study commentary puts it. It says says this, it's one thing to claim to trust God's word when waiting for something. It's quite another thing to trust and obey his word after it's received. Did he, Abraham, really believe that God would still keep his word and raise the seed of promise? I will admit I am not the world's smartest man. Okay, I'll admit that. But I I do know certain things. Like I know that in order to pass a family name down the line, there has to be a son to do that. Unless your daughter is an independent woman and keeps it herself. It happens, okay? That's what Emma's going to do, I'm just saying. She doesn't know it yet, but she's going to do that, okay? So for the most part, in most moments, a son is required to carry the name. So when I read this, my mind tells me, my mind goes to the reality that, that what God was, was asking Abraham to do was to surrender, to sacrifice, to kill the one thing that was going to guarantee the fulfillment of the promise. He was asking Abraham to let go of the one promise of, 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 of the key component of the promise that he was given 25 years ago. And as we see these verses play out, we see that Abraham's response was instant and without question. Because you see, he packed up everything they would need for the trip and, and left early the next morning. As I thought about how this relates to us in 2023, because what I believe, um, and, and this is just me, 
I don't believe the meaning of scripture changes by culture. I don't believe that. I don't believe that when culture changes, God, I, I don't believe that. I, I believe that what influences culture should be God's word and not the other way around. So as, as I thought about what, what did God mean when he inspired men to write this particular moment for us in 2023, what did he have in mind for us? I found myself coming to this question that I want to offer to you this morning. Do I trust with no hesitation like Abraham did? When I feel God leading me or guiding me or moving me in a direction, do I hesitate or do I respond with no hesitation like Abraham did? You see, the truth is there's really not much difference between you and Abraham. There's really not. You may feel like there is because he's in the Bible and you're not. But listen, Abraham is just a man. Okay, when you, when you go to heaven one day and you meet him, he'll tell you, yeah, I messed up sometimes. Yeah, that one time I called, my, I called my wife my sister. Who does that, right? So even Abraham messed up. So Abraham is just like you and me. And it may feel like he is not because he's in the Bible. But honestly, we know what it's like to have generations and generations of the family name passed down through our sons. He experienced that. We know what it's like to be told to let go of something that he desperately wanted. We know what that's like. We know that Jesus tells us to let go of our wants and desires when we choose him. Abraham did that. We know what it's like to let go of a relationship that we desperately want. Abraham did that. We know what it's like to let go of a dream that we've had for months or years. Abraham did that for 25 years. I have to imagine that, that in the moment he woke up different morning saying, well, it's not going to happen, right? I've been waiting too long. I mean, even in fact, Abraham said, like, when, when Abraham was told, hey, you're going to be dead, he's like, hey, guess what? I'm old. So is my wife. So how can we have kids? We know what it's like to be done with God when we feel as if God is done with us. Abraham felt that. And we know what it's like to feel hesitation and trusting God because we would rather hold on to the idea of the promise and the hope of the promise and not go through the waiting before the promise. We'd rather hold on to the idea of it and not go through the hurt or the pain or the longness of waiting. And guess what? Every single person in this Bible, every single person in God's word has felt that same thing. So stop thinking that you're not good enough to be recognized by God, okay? Because he recognizes you. He sees you. Okay, he called murderers and rapists to, be, to follow him. So if he did that, he can surely use you and recognizes you. Sometimes we sell ourselves short. We think that, well, God can't use me. I'm not old enough, smart enough, wise enough, whatever enough. Stop thinking that. Listen, God can use anybody. God can use a child to show how a child can recognize their need of a savior. So if God can use a child, he can definitely use you. And in fact, if you want more encouragement, every person Jesus called, they were messed up. They were imperfect. Like God does not call perfect disciples. He calls imperfect disciples. And when we start embracing our mess and offering it to God and say, you do whatever you want with it, then he'll start, then he'll start moving. What if we get in the way sometimes? We don't want to think that, right? We, we, we never get in the way. But what if, what if we are getting in our own way of seeing God do incredible things in our life? In Abraham's response to God, he says three words. Here I am. And if we're being honest, often our response to God is much more wordy, right? Here's what I mean. Our response to God is often more like, here I am, after I feel like it's safe to be all in. 
Here I am after I see a sign that it will be that, that it will pan out like I think it should. Here I am once I'm ready. I have to believe that the reason Abraham had no hesitation in his response was because Abraham was more focused on the author of the promise than the words of the promise. How many times do we get so focused on the promise that we forget who spoke the promise? We get that thing, right? We get that relationship. We get that thing, that answer, that solution that we've been praying for. And we can get so lost in the celebration of that thing that we forget where that promise, where that declaration came from. I don't think Abraham took his eyes off God once. Maybe he thought about it, but what we read is that he... He said no hesitation. So if, if, if trust starts with no hesitation, where does it go next? What's the second part? Well, this leads me to number two this morning. Number two in our notes is this, is that trust involves full dedication. Trust involves full dedication. Look with me at verses four through eight of Genesis chapter 22 this morning. Verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and, pl- and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two, two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. As this moment continues to unfold, we see that Abraham and Isaac, they they finally arrive at this place that that God told them to go. And if you look at uh, the location of these two places of where they lived and uh, the region in Moriah, there's about 50 miles distance. So that's why it took them three days to get there. It took them a while because they didn't have cars back then. They had a good old-fashioned donkey. And they had their sandals, which sounds miserable, right? (laughs) So it takes them three days to get there. And when they get there, Abraham sends his servants away and tells them that himself and Isaac are, are going to worship together. And I can't help but wonder, like, what is going through Abraham's mind right now? Like, he knows what he's about to do, but he hasn't told his son Isaac or told his servants. But he tells them to go on as they are going to go and worship together. And this statement alone is just very amazing to me for, for two reasons. One, Abraham knew that God planned to have a future to give a future for the children, for the generations through Isaac. He knew that God planned the future around Isaac, but he also knew that God wanted him to sacrifice Isaac. It was one of those classic moments of, what are you doing, God? He was promised a son, got the son, and then within the few short years of having him, he's told, go to a mountain that I'm going to tell you about. He loves doing that son, doesn't he? He's like, Trust me to go, and I'll show you where to go. He says, go, go to where I'll tell you, and then when you get there, sacrifice your son. Offer him to me. And I, and I would imagine it was hard for, for Abraham to comprehend these two things, right? These two extremes, if you will. But yet what we see is that Abraham obeyed anyway. When you don't know what the right answer is, when you don't know what the best answer is, when you don't know why you're in between two extremes, what do you do with that? Do you follow Abraham's lead and just trust God and go with it? Or do you try to rationalize it or explain it or do something to make it easier for you? You see, in these verses that we just read, Abraham really had two moments where that, that he could have said, you know what? <laughs> I'm done. He had two moments that he could say, you know what? We've gone far enough. We're, we're, we're going back home. One of those moments was when he looked up and saw the region of Moriah in the distance. You know, Abraham could have said to himself, you know what? I made a decision. I've gone farther than most people would, so we're going to go back. Like, God sees that I put in the effort, 
And that's good enough, right? Like God sees that I'm willing to go to the place. So we've gone far enough. We, we, we can check off the box. We're good to go. Let's go back home. Well, that's not what we see. And I think Abraham realized something. God doesn't just care about how we respond initially. He also cares about how we move through the waiting. Sometimes more of the test is how you handle the waiting more than how you handle the initial ask. Because we can, it's easy to, to, to trust and it's easy to, to, to have faith in God. But when that waiting happens, when you're caught in the middle and you can't do anything but just sit and wait, what do you do with that? So Abraham knew that God cared about that. But even in responding to Isaac's question, because Isaac asked a very important question that probably all of us would, Abraham expresses a belief in God's ability to provide. And this leads me to the second opportunity that Abraham could have taken to back out or to turn around. And it was that moment that Isaac asked the question of any sensible child would, um, Dad, I know we're going to go sacrifice, and I see the fire, see the wood, see the knife. But there's one thing that I'm not, I'm not seeing, unless it's like back there with the, worship, with the servants. I'm not seeing it yet. Uh, where, where's the animal? Which is like the most important part of the sacrifice. And Abraham communicates this belief that God was going to provide and this is what I believe we can see from, from, from that, is that not only does God speak the promise, he provides for the promise. I think sometimes we, we seek the declaration of the promise from God, but when it comes to getting it or providing for it, we go somewhere else. We say, well, yes, God, you spoke it, but I'm going to lean more on my ability to get it. We're gonna, we, we say, you know what? Your time is not working out for me, God. So you know what? I've waited long enough. I'm taking over. I'm in control now. And again, Abraham could have done that. He could have said, you know what? We're going back home. But no, he had faith in the one who not only speaks the promise, but the one who provides for the promise. So how does this connect with the idea that trust involves full dedication? How does this relate to us in 2023? Well, to answer this, let me just tell you a very simple characteristic of, of, of who God is. God does everything on purpose and says everything with a purpose. This means that when God calls us to do something, he does so with a purpose and for a purpose. If you are here and you have breath in your lungs right now, that's because God has something for you to do today. Because here is the truth. God doesn't need you. Like, God doesn't need you to change the world. He did that in the very beginning when, before we were here. I mean, he, he took what, what was nothing and created everything. So God doesn't need us to do anything. He can do it all. But he wants to use you. He wants to involve you in what he's doing. He wants you to be a part of the story. A series of uh, verses that I've just been chewing on for the past couple of weeks is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And if you've never read it before, go read it. It's, it's just a beautiful picture of what God does for us even before we are family to him. But in that, verse 10 just really stands out to me, especially in light of our conversation this morning. But Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared, for, prepared in advance for us, to do so, God has created us in certain ways that will help us accomplish these good works. So, despite what we may feel like at times or be told by people or things or groups or whatever, God did not create us with mistakes or flaws, but with a purpose. So, all those things that you find annoying about yourself or that you would say is a mistake or that you would say is a flaw. God does not see it as those things. God sees it as what he did intentionally and purposefully for you to accomplish something for his name, for his kingdom. In other words, I'll say it like this. The fulfillment of our purpose is impossible without our full dedication. Jesus calls you to be all in for him. Doesn't call you to be half in, half out. In fact, the Bible says that 
in the end times that God will spit out lukewarm Christians. That sounds harsh, but that's the reality. In other words, God does not have time to deal with someone who's going to be half in and half out. He doesn't. Like God would rather have you fully in than half in, half out. So if we don't continually try to move closer and closer to Jesus, we will never fully understand the purposes God has for our lives. And the reason that I say we have to get closer to Jesus is because to fully understand God is to fully know who Jesus is. Because in John 14, 6, it tells us very clearly that, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that no one comes to the Father except through God. So it's not about your church attendance. It's not about your church involvement. It's not about how many times you read the Bible left and right. It's not about how many times you pray before a meal or before bed. not about how many times you serve in a church or serve outside a church. It's about do you know who Jesus is? So let's take away the fluff and get, and, and, and get, and get serious. Do you know who Jesus is? In our time that we have left together, I want to talk about this last part of trust. If it starts with no hesitation and, it, and it's continued with full dedication, what's it lead to? Well, number three is this, that trust involves follow through. That trust involves follow through. For one last time, go back with me to Genesis chapter 22, verses 9 through 13. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him because now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up in there and in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. As this moment reaches, reaches its climax, we see that Abraham, he begins to build the altar, binds up his son Isaac and, and, and grabs the knife that he would use to end his son's life. And reading that just wrecks me as a parent, if I, if, if, if I, if I can be honest. Because like now, Emberlyn, she is getting over, thankfully, a double ear infection. She has this medicine that is gross and she hates it. So before we discovered the magic of milkshakes and mixing it with, with, with the medicine, it's okay. It's okay, I promise. It's okay. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. Just, just breathe. Okay. We would have to hold her down physically. And that just wrecked me. To, to hold my child down while she is screaming and screaming. So I can't imagine that, that if that wrecks me, I can't imagine going through what, what, what Abraham was going through. And as Abraham begins to grab the knife and to raise it, an angel of the Lord stopped him and provided a, a substitute for the sacrifice. And that is a beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us, is that at the <laughs> At the right moment, God provided Jesus in our behalf, in our place, as our substitute. And while this is a very emotional moment, I don't want us to miss some significant ideas that we can see from, this, from these verses. The first one is this is that the trust Abraham had in God was driven by his fear of God. Now, I'm not talking about being scared or afraid, but this is what I mean by a fear of God. To fear God means that we recognize him as sovereign, trust him completely in everything, and obey him without question. In other words, to fear God is to trust God because there is a recognition that God is in control of everything, even if it doesn't seem like it. The second thing that I don't want us to miss is that we can it's about what we can learn about trust and letting go. I like how, again, my primary study commentary words this idea. It says a true, a true follower of God holds nothing back from him, but obediently gives him what he asks, trusting that he will provide. When God asks something of someone that has committed to him, they are expected to respond in the same way that Abraham did by saying, here I am or here it is. So why is it so easy for us to do that? If I'm being honest, it should be easy to let go as a Christian than it is for someone who's not a Christian. 
because we know that when we let go as someone who knows God, we are doing so in exchange for something better. That the life that we want to see, the life that we want to have, the life that we want to experience, it only happens after the fact that we let go and surrender to Jesus. I told our students on Wednesday, I said, listen, you can try to get everything in a row, in, in a nice order. You can try to clean up your mess and pick things up. But the reality is your mess will not be cleaned up until you invite Jesus in. Your life will not be complete until you invite Jesus in. So if you think that you have to have everything in order, ready to go before you meet Jesus, that is a lie from the enemy. Because the fulfillment, the completion, the order of life only comes after someone knows who Jesus is. So let me share just some, some additional scriptures that, I, that give evidence to this idea. In John 10.10, 10, one of my favorite verses, John 10.10 10, it says the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come, Jesus, that I may have that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, when we choose Jesus, we choose a fuller life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says this. Therefore, if anyone is in new, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. When we choose Jesus, we choose a new life. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, check out what it says. Matthew 6, 33. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be, will be given to you as well. When we choose Jesus, we get everything that we need. In, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, you know this verse very, very well, but let me hear but Let me read to you Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. We often hear this verse when we're struggling, when we're going through things. But in Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, it says that in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we choose Jesus, we get a peace that passes all possible understanding. So when we choose Jesus, we choose victory. That's why we as Christians can handle trouble a little bit more than someone who doesn't know Jesus. That's why we as Christians, that's why we as someone who chooses Jesus, that's why we have a hope that is eternal, that is forever, and that is as firm as an anchor in the bottom of the ocean. That's why we can hold our head up high when we feel attacked, because we know that there is no one greater than God, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. So if you have Jesus, you have protection from, from anything and everything. So trust follows through. In a few moments, our worship team, they're going to come back up to the stage, and I'm going to stop talking. And this is going to be our time in the service where we're given the opportunity to respond to whatever conversation God is, is having with us this morning. I, I believe the words of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, that says that whenever God's word goes out, it never comes back empty. We may not see it right away, but there is something that God will do with that reception of, of, of his word. And this means that when God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, things happen. And when the worship team leads us, that's going to be our time to respond to whatever God's trying to do in your life right now and this morning. But before they do, can I just speak directly to a few people and can I just speak honestly? First, let me address those here that are involved with the, with, with the culture and community of EBC. Several months ago, we started this season of waiting and trusting. Several months ago, you trusted people within our church family to find the next man they felt was the one to lead this church. And then they, along with us as a church body, extended a call to Brother Clay to come and lead us as the next senior pastor of Eubank Baptist Church. So if we really trust him to lead us as he is led by the Holy Spirit, then we should show no hesitation when he speaks a vision. We should show up well with full dedication and we should follow through to see God move in this church and community. And listen, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't, I don't know him very well. I don't know who he is. Listen, 
It does not matter, okay? If you know God, that's all that matters. Because here's the truth. No matter who's in the pulpit, no matter who's on the stage, God's purpose, God's will is going to happen no matter what. It doesn't matter who the, who, who, who the speaker is. So if you know God, you can trust that the man who's been called here will lead us in a, in a way that is honoring to him. Because ultimately God is in control and his plans will come to be regardless of who is, in, who is on the pastor team or leadership team of any church. Now let me talk to the person who's here that maybe they've never placed their faith in Jesus. Maybe they've never made that commitment to him. I refuse to believe that anyone sitting in a church chair or pew is automatically a Christian. I refuse to believe that. There, we don't have this thing that when you walk through the door, you're a Christian thing. No, it doesn't work like that. So I refuse to believe it'd be like me wearing a jersey of an, of, of an NBA team and saying that I play on the team. Don't be laughing at that, Tyler. <laughs> wow. That hurt. I'm going to focus on God now. <laughs> Meet me on the court. <laughs> Can I also tell you that if that's you, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, that you are here in the right place this morning. Can I tell you that even though you haven't made that decision yet, God still loves you and has done these things for you that we've talked about this morning. Even in being separated from God because of your sin and your mistakes and not having a relationship with Jesus and being considered an enemy to God, he sent Jesus as your substitute on a cross that should have been where you were. Even as you are or were considered an enemy of God, he loved you enough to send his only son to die for you. Through sending Jesus, God showed no hesitation to bring us back to him. He showed full dedication to bring us back to him. And he followed through to the very end by watching his son suffer and die on the cross. So if the Bible is true, and we believe that it is, we believe every word is true. If God gave everything for you, what is stopping you from giving everything for him? If you're here and you never placed your faith, what is stopping you? Why? What, what are you holding on to that you think is better than Jesus? Lastly, let me talk to those of us that have made that commitment to Jesus. Is there something in, in your life that you need to let go of and show more trust with? If you come tonight to the worship night downstairs, we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about surrender. Because you can say you surrender, but do you live like that? Do your actions, do your words communicate that? So maybe you're here and there's something in your life that you need to let go of during this time of response. Maybe you need to come to the altar by yourself or with someone that you trust and truly surrender a situation, a relationship, a problem, or a struggle that no one else knows about but you know about and let, and let it go to Jesus and let him do with it what he will. It says that, that anyone that comes to him, they will find rest and completeness. But before I pray, the best way I think for me to, to share my final, or to not to, to share my closing remarks, is to share the gospel with you. That's the best way, I, I, that's the best way that I can end this thing. So let me just say the gospel. In Romans 3.23, we see that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every single person on this planet, whether they are a good person, decent person, or a bad person, every single person on this planet has made mistakes. And because of that, because of them choosing them over, over Jesus, they have been separated from God. And maybe you're like, well, Aaron, what is the mark? What's the standard? Well, simple, simple response to a simple question. The mark that we pursue is everything in here. Everything. Not just the easy parts to read. Not just the parts that are easier, but the parts that challenge us, like loving your enemies. The parts that talk about sacrificing your wants and your needs for the betterment of somebody else. The parts that encourage us to treat others as we would treat ourselves, even though at some times we don't want to. So we all start here. This is where you are. If you don't have Jesus, this is where you are. This is where you'll stay forever. In Romans 6.23, it tells us what this leads to. If we, if we stay in this place of 
just living in a sin that separates us from God, it leads us to the wages of sin is death. You may think, well, Aaron, that's, that's, not, that's not fair. That, that seems too extreme. That seems too, too unkind. Listen, I'm only reading what my God says, okay? I didn't make the words up. He did, okay? And I'm going to care more about what he thinks as the one who made everything more than what you think. I'm sorry. I love you to death. I really do. I really do. But the reality is, this is my source of truth and authority, not you. So you may think that sounds, that sounds intense, but that, that's the truth. That the wages of our sin is death. That, 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 is what, that, that, is, that is what is owed on our end. But I love what the second part of this verse says. That it, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what that means is that God was too unhappy with you staying in your sin. God was too unsatisfied for you being separated from him. God was too unsatisfied to see you left in your own mess. So he sent his son Jesus to do what you can't do, which is to save yourself. You can try, you can put on a show, you can, you, you can move stuff around, but ultimately you will not be able, you cannot save yourself from sin. There's only one person that can do that, and that is Jesus. So why Jesus? Why do we got to start there? In John 14, 6, I love this. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if you want to know who God is, you have to know who Jesus is. And the only way to know who Jesus is, is to have a relationship with Jesus. Because anyone can Google facts about Jesus online. I can pull up my phone right now and Google facts to you. But there is a difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing who Jesus is. It's not enough to know about Jesus, but do you know who Jesus is? See, it's not about your church attendance or church membership or the times you read the Bible from left to right. It's not about how many times you pray at night or day. It's not about how many good deeds you do. Not about how, how nice of a person you are. You can do all those things in the right way, but if you don't know who Jesus is, if you don't have a relationship with him, those things don't matter. Those things will not get you into heaven. The only person that you can get to heaven through is Jesus. So how does someone accept Jesus? How does someone invite him into their life? Well, Romans 10, 9 is so clear. And I love this because it's so clear that even a child can understand this. In fact, on Thursday at Silent Hill, they asked me to come speak. And, and honestly, it was a mess in my head. It was, I was like a rambling idiot. But somehow, seven kids got saved. And that's not about me. I love thinking, man, I'm an idiot. So this is so simple that even a child can understand it. Even a student at three o'clock in the afternoon can understand this, that if we declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this offer is for anyone and everyone. Does not matter what your story has been. Does not matter what you have or haven't done. Doesn't matter how far you've been away from church. Doesn't matter how far you've gone away from Jesus. If you want to choose Jesus, you can do it right now. You can articulate a belief that you're a sinner who needs Jesus. And when we do that, anyone will experience salvation and experience a new life. So they're going to come and we're going to sing. And I'm going to be here in the front if you need anything, a prayer, if you need to talk. If you know you need Jesus and you want someone to talk to you about, come talk to me, okay? Don't leave. I, I don't believe that we are meant to come to God's word and leave the exact same way. I don't believe that. And, 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 and if you do, you've wasted an opportunity. I'm sorry. I believe that when we come to God's word, even if you've been a Christian your entire life, you got saved and baptized at one year old, that even today God wants to talk to you and do something new in you. So don't leave here the exact same way you came in. Don't disgrace what Jesus did for you by doing that. So as they come, as I pray, my question is simple for all of us this morning. How do you need to respond to Jesus today? Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. God, I'm so grateful that you give us the ability to understand, to know what your word says. And God, I believe that I have done my best to communicate your message this morning. So I pray that if there's anyone, if there's anyone in this room right now 
and they know, they know that they have never truly, they've been to church, they've, they've gone to church, but they've never truly given you their life. They've never called you their Savior or their Lord that right now, even as I'm praying that they would do that. God, we don't need to have a big, crazy moment. We can, you can meet us right now, even when I'm praying. Father, you, you have a heart for us not to be a slave to sin, not to be a slave to ourselves, not to be a slave to culture, not to be a slave to, to what people think, to what, to what our family or our friends think. God, but we, we have the ability to be free of that. So I pray that if there's anyone that needs to experience that freedom that only can come from you, that right now, God, they would make that decision. That they would lay down their pride, lay down their excuses, lay down their wall, and offer themselves to you. Father, I pray for the ones that have made that commitment. God, I've been a Christian for 20 plus years, and there's things that I struggle with. There's things that I need to let go of. So I pray for the ones that are here that need to do that that they would not leave this moment carrying that same weight or baggage or shame or guilt, but they would lay it, lay it down at your feet. You tell us if we lay it at your feet, you will take it from us. That if we're in you, we're a new creation. So I pray for the ones who need to come to the altar today and make and, and, and let go of something or, or many things. But lastly, I wanna pray for us as a church as we move forward into this new season, as we celebrate and honor those that have come before and what they have done, God, that we would honor them, but be faithful and show no hesitation to the new season that you have for this church. God, we wanna be a place that trusts you wholly and completely. Father, we thank you. And God, have your way in this moment because you're not done yet. It is in your powerful name that we pray, amen.